Well, welcome, church. Uh, as we move now into a time of teaching uh, and out of our time of worship, I just want to say how privileged I am uh, to get to be here with you this morning and to get to open the Word of God with you. Um, I truly count it as a privilege and an honor to be able to stand here before you today and just talk about the Word of God. Uh, the Word of God is so powerful and it has so much life-giving truth to it. And the fact that I get to be here today with you to kind of exposit that truth uh, is truly a blessing and an honor. Um, now, I know what some of you guys are thinking. Um, if you saw the, the bumper video that was up a couple of seconds ago, you're thinking, you look an awfully lot like the guy dancing on the screen. Um, coincidence. Honestly, uh, it wasn't me, I, I promise. I, I, would never do such a thing, we don't dance. Um, but uh, it is, again, an honor to be here. Um, and before we dive into the message that I have for you guys this morning, uh, I kind of want to do a quick recap of what Pastor Preston talked about last week, um, because he did a phenomenal job of really setting the tone for this Christmas season, as well as this series. Uh, and he talked about some really, really good things for us to remember as believers walking into this Advent season. Um, so as we recap, uh, the first thing he started off by saying is, listen, there have been trials and tribulation during the Christmas season going all the way back to the very first Christmas. Um, not everybody has been excited and enthusiastic about the coming of Jesus Christ. Uh, but he then went on to say, but we as believers can remember a few things to help us stay focused on the true meaning of Christmas so that no matter what's going on around us, no matter how COVID is affecting us, no matter how it's affecting our travels, our family, our plans, our expectations, we can truly still have our focus on Christ, who is the real reason for the season. And so he had three main points, three main reminders for us as the people of God walking into this Christmas season. And the first one was this, Christmas is a celebration of God, not us. Christmas is not about us. It's not about our traditions. It's not about all of our parties that we get to host and the dinners that we get to have. It's not about even the family time or the vacation days that we get. Christmas is about God. Christmas is a time to focus in on the person of Jesus Christ and what he came to do. The second thing Pastor Preston said was that your value is found in God, not in yourself. Uh, no matter what has been happening to you this year, the value of your Christmas season and, and the joy that you have during this time does not come from your possessions. It doesn't come from uh, the big family or the broken family or anything else that's going on. It comes straight from God. And then lastly, the third reminder that he gave us to remember as we walk into this Christmas season was that your emotions should be authentic, not fake. And, and what he was saying by that was, listen, and we as believers, we as people who are children of God, we have a true hope. We do not have to put on this fake sense of joy during Christmas because the, the rest of the world who are not believers in Jesus Christ, they do not have a true genuine joy, but we do. And so we don't have to fake emotion. We don't have to fake joy. We don't have to fake this peace and satisfaction that we have. We get to truly be fulfilled 
during this Christmas season because our joy is in God and in God alone. And so our emotions should not be fake based on gifts, based on uh, family traditions and dinners and parties and all of those things, friends. And it's not based on that, but our joy is based on God. And since Christmas is a celebration of God, our joy should be authentic, genuine, and real from the bottom of our hearts. Um, and so we just, uh, I just want to kind of remind you of that because that really did set a good tone for then the sermon that I want to present to you today. And we're going to, of those three reminders that Preston gave us, I'm going to really hone in on the first one. Um, the first one being that Christmas is a celebration about God, not you. I really want to dive into that point. I really want to focus in and, and really emphasize that truth. And I cannot say it enough. Christmas is not about you. It's about God. Um, but before we go into the full sermon, I have a couple disclaimers, okay? And I hope these disclaimers will um, help you as the sermon continues. So the first disclaimer is this. The Bible is one unified story that points to God. The Bible, as we have it in the English translation, doesn't always do the best job of showing how this is one unified story. The very order of the books in the Bible that we possess is taken out of its original narrative context and presented based on the type of literature that it is. So we have books of the law, we have books of history, we have books of of poetry. We have books of the major prophets and the minor prophets, and those books are categorized by the type instead of the actual chronological order of the narrative that they contain. And so, as we read the Old Testament, for example, we can often misunderstand how the whole thing fits together because the narrative has been taken out and rearranged into a different order. Um, secondly, the, the Bible that we have contains chapter breaks and verse breaks. Uh, and then let me be the first to tell you, hopefully not the first to tell you, but if I am the first to tell you, those chapters and verses were not in the original inspired Hebrew and Greek texts. Those were added years later to help us be able to find and identify places in the scripture. However, over time, what that has done is it has caused us to not read the Bible as one story, but to take bits and pieces of it and put it into smaller verses that we then only read those verses or only read those chapters. One example of this is the letters that Paul wrote to the churches in the New Testament. Paul wrote letters that were designed to be read all at once in full completion from beginning to end. And yet we have a tendency to read a chapter or a verse of a letter and then think we are understanding the full gravity of what Paul was trying to communicate. But without reading the entire letter all at once, we don't miss the full image that he's trying to portray. And the same is true with the scriptures. The scriptures were not designed to be read in such a way that we just pick and pull verses from all over and then put them together to have something that fits our needs and our desire. The Bible was designed as one cohesive narrative that all points to Jesus. And so I want to very, very clearly make sure that you understand that because as I dive into the sermon today, we are going to look at the scripture as one cohesive narrative that points to Jesus. The second disclaimer I have 
before we dive into the message, is that Jesus is the centerpiece of time. And what I mean by that is Jesus and his coming to the earth was not something that God manufactured after hundreds or thousands of years of human rebellion. Jesus was predestined to save humanity even before God created the universe. This means that God, before he even created the earth and the humans in it, knew that he was going to have to sacrifice his son. He knew that creation would rebel against him and that in order to save his creation, he would have to give up his son, and he still chose to create. He chose to create humanity knowing that we would rebel and that he would have to send his son to die for us, and that shows the deep, deep love that God has for us that even though he was going to have to sacrifice his son, it was still worth it for the relationship that he could have for us. Furthering that point, Jesus, the son of God, knew that he was going to have to lay down his own life. He knew that even though he was the word by which creation was made, he was then going to have to come as a man to save the very creation that he was creating. And Jesus, out of the willingness of his heart and the obedience to the Father, was willing to still be a part of the creation experience, knowing he was going to have to lay his life down for creation. And that is powerful. That shows the deep, deep love that God has for this creation, that no matter what, even before the foundations of the earth, God was willing to predestine his son to the wrath of the cross so that we could be reunited back to God's presence. So those are the two disclaimers that I want you guys to understand before we dive into the sermon. And now as we move into the sermon, I want to just say a quick prayer that God will open our minds and hearts to receive this message um, as I portray the truth of this narrative. Heavenly Father, I come before you just pleading with you to reveal truth to the listeners today. I beg you that your Holy Spirit would come upon the people of God and open their minds to receive your narrative, your story of how you brought salvation to us. We don't deserve it. We have done nothing to earn it. And yet from the foundations of the earth, you predestined your son to die for us. And that is amazing. And God, we just thank you for that. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would reveal that to somebody today, even if it's for the first time, or if it's somebody who's heard it a million times, but needed to be reminded of it in a whole new way. God, speak today through your Holy Spirit. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So um, now the first point um, that I kind of want to start with as we move into the sermon is I just want to take us back to the beginning. Um, Pastor Preston referenced uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And in part of his point last week when he was talking about how Christmas is about God, not us, is that Christmas is the mark, the start of the climax in God's plan to save humanity. And so since Christmas is about Jesus's birth, it signifies the start then of what Jesus was going to accomplish on earth. And Christmas is exciting, and it's about God for that very reason. And he took us all the way back to Genesis to kind of show us that point. And in Genesis, 
um, chapter 3, verse 15, it says, I will put enmity or strife, contention between you, referring to the serpent, the devil, and the woman, referring to Eve, and between your offspring and her offspring. And he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, for anybody who has some understanding of the scriptures, you kind of have a little bit of context of where that verse comes in. But for everybody else who maybe hasn't heard that before, let me give you a little context to what that verse is referring to. You see, God created the universe and he created it to be this beautiful cosmic temple that he was going to dwell in. And he created earth as this house for he and his creation, humanity, to dwell together. And his design was for he and humanity to dwell on the earth and govern the earth. He created this beautiful paradise that we refer to as the Garden of Eden. And he commissioned Adam and Eve to make the entire earth like the paradise of Eden. And God had this beautiful intention of taking the earth and creating it into an entire global paradise where God and his creation humanity would dwell together in perfect unity. Well, as the story continues, there were some spiritual beings who rebelled against God. There were some spiritual beings that God had designed to help him that actually decided they didn't want to help God, they wanted to be like God. And so instead of helping God, they go down to the creation of humanity and they deceive humanity into rebelling against God as well. And we see that um, in the beginning of chapter three where Adam and Eve choose to disobey God. And when they choose to disobey God, they are saying to God, God, we don't want your help we want to do our own thing, and we want to govern this earth with the help of the devil, not with your help. And so as they've made this choice, we then have God approaching them and saying, okay, if this is the choice you're going to make, then here are the consequences. And that's where verse 15 of chapter 3 comes in, is he is giving out these consequences, this, this punishment for the choice that Adam and Eve have made, and also for the choice of the spiritual being, the devil, who rebelled against God. And he's saying to this spiritual being, listen, I will send a seed of the woman, and that seed will, as Preston referred to last week, deliver you a fatal blow. And it's important that we also see, and I'll talk about this later on, that it says the seed of the woman. So um, as we then continue into the, the story of this this. Um, humanity in this correlation, we see that uh, humanity then um, throughout the rest of the Old Testament has all of these consequences and all of these results of their choice to rebel against God and follow the devil. And so throughout then the rest of Genesis and, and ultimately the Old Testament, we see the story of how human depravity has taken over the earth and people are corrupt and broken, and the devil, the author of all lies and death, is just wreaking havoc upon God's beautiful creation. And in the midst of that, God says, I'm going to choose one family. I'm going to choose one 
group of people to be my representatives to the earth because right now nobody else on the earth wants anything to do with me. They're not worshiping me. They're worshiping these other spiritual beings. They're worshiping the devil. They're not worshiping me. So I'm going to choose one family and they will worship me and I will be their God and they will be my people. And from them, I will bring my son who's going to be the savior of the world. And so then we transition into the rest of the Old Testament where God is giving all, all of these prophecies, all of these promises that he is going to bring somebody who will save the earth from the destruction of the devil. God is going to bring a man who will come in and save all of the people from the consequences of their choice to rebel against God. And some of those prophecies about this man point to the man Jesus. One of those prophecies Um, that we know of specifically is that in Israel, uh, I'm sorry, Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14, where uh, the prophet Isaiah claims that the person who is going to come and save the world will be God with us. And obviously we as Christians believe that Jesus is God. And therefore, because he is God, He is God with us, and only Jesus was God. He was the only man that ever walked this earth that was fully man and fully God, and it's because he was fully God that he is able to fulfill this prophecy of being God with us. And we see that prophecy then echoed in Matthew um, chapter 1, where the angel of the Lord appears to Joseph and says, his name will be called Emmanuel. He will be God with us. Some of the other prophecies um, throughout the Old Testament, uh, they refer uh, to uh, the Messiah, the promised Savior, being somebody who is from the line of King David. Uh, They refer to him being somebody who is a descendant of Abraham. They refer to him being somebody who's going to bring salvation to the whole world. Um, And that's why then in the New Testament, we have the biblical authors of the Gospels of Matthew, Luke, and John starting out their account of Jesus's life with a genealogy. Because Matthew is specifically trying to trace Jesus back to Abraham because there were prophecies that the Messiah would be a son of Abraham. Likewise, Um, Luke traces the genealogy of Jesus all the way back to Adam, showing that Jesus is not just a savior of Abraham's descendants, but also the savior of all people because his genealogy goes all the way back to Adam, who was the father of all the living. Well, then John's gospel takes it even a step further and says, no, 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 I'm going to trace Jesus's life not back to Abraham, not back to Adam, but to before creation, because Jesus wasn't just a descendant of Abraham. He wasn't just a descendant of Adam. He was the only begotten son of God who existed before creation, and by him and through him all things were created. And so those three genealogies that we see at the beginning of those gospels actually are there for the purpose of fulfilling these Old Testament prophecies that point to Jesus. Now, Preston said something really good last week referring to prophecies. He said, listen, the prophecies 
do not show the purpose of Jesus. They only provide proof that he is the Savior, the Messiah. And so we can't understand the purpose of Jesus coming to earth simply by seeing the prophecies. We have to look elsewhere to see why he came, but those prophecies in the Old Testament, they provide a way for us to know that Jesus was indeed the Savior. And because Jesus was able to fulfill all of those prophecies from God, we can be confident that Jesus was indeed the Savior of the world. So now that we have an understanding of that in the Old Testament, we're going to jump now to the New Testament, and we're going to see how Jesus then comes on the scene as the Savior of the world that God predestined from the beginning of the world, and we're going to get a glimpse of his purpose here on earth. You see, in the New Testament, Jesus is referred to as having come to destroy the power of the devil. Hebrews 2.14 says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he, Jesus himself, likewise partook of the same things, meaning he became flesh and blood. That through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. This gives us a glimpse of the purpose of Jesus, that he came to destroy the one who has the power of death. Likewise, 1 John chapter 3, verse 8 says, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the very beginning, which we know to be true from Genesis chapter 3. It then goes on to say, the reason the Son of God, Jesus, appeared was to destroy the work of the devil. And before we go any further, I just want to be very clear. The, the work of the devil was that he would corrupt and consume God's creation to destroy it. The devil has no desire, no purpose other than to oppose everything that God stands for. And the work of the devil is to wreak havoc and cause chaos, chaos upon God's beautiful creation. And the work of the devil is seen everywhere, right? I mean, we can notice the work of the devil even now in death, in destruction, in quarreling, in fighting, in arguing, in broken families, in broken lives, in sin, in temptation, in evil. There is evil everywhere. The work of the devil is everywhere. And the reason Jesus came was to destroy that work, to destroy the evil and the corruption that the devil came to ensue. So with that being said, everything in the prophecies in the Old Testament show us that Jesus was indeed the Savior who came to destroy the work of the devil. Now with that being said, I want to kind of explain the concept um, that we see in verse, uh, in, in 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 19 through 20. And so it says this, uh, starting in verse 18, says, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your fathers, not with perishable things such as gold and silver. Now, before we go on, the idea of a ransom is that you are being held captive and somebody makes a payment for your freedom. So what is being said here is that we were being held captive to the slavery of the devil and the death of 
that he brings. And God made payment for our freedom, not with such things as silver or gold, but verse 19, with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. This ties it back to Old Testament covenant. Verse 20, he was foreknown. This is the verse we read earlier. Before the foundations of the world, but was made manifest in these last times for the sake of you, whom through him are now believers in God. What this is saying is that God predestined Jesus from the, before the foundations of the earth, but he just now became manifest in time for us to receive freedom from the slavery of the enemy. When God redeemed us, he literally paid the price for our freedom, the ransom price for our freedom, and that ransom price was the blood of his son. When we get excited, when we, when we talk about Christmas and about the birth of Jesus, what we are celebrating is the start of that beautiful plan that God sacrificed his own son to bring our freedom. And as we move into Christmas and this Advent season when Jesus came, we have to remember that Christmas is about that beautiful story, that beautiful gospel. The reason Pastor Preston said that we must remember that Christmas is about God and not about us is because Christmas is about God sacrificing his son, giving us the best gift that we could ever have imagined. Christmas and the birth of Jesus the Christ is a sign to the entire world that salvation from their sin can be accomplished through faith in Jesus Christ. And, and as I conclude today, I want us to remember and to focus that the birth of Jesus was God incarnating his son in the flesh in the person of Jesus so that humanity could be saved from death and not just saved from death, but then have a relationship an intimate relationship with God through the Holy Spirit because of what Jesus did on the cross. God sent his son, the God-man, to earth in the form of Jesus so that we could be bought back from the devil. This was the ransom payment. This is the gospel. This is the beauty of the hope that we have. Christmas is a time of celebration and hope because we can reflect on the fact that because Jesus came and lived as a baby, we then have eternal life with God our Father in heaven. We must remember that the significance of Christmas is not found in us. The significance of Christmas has nothing to do with us but has everything to do with the gift that God gave, which is his son we then have an opportunity to be ambassadors, to be witnesses of this gift by being generous during this Christmas season. We give gifts that other people don't deserve because we were given the ultimate gift that we did not deserve. 
Christmas is not about us. And if we make it about us, we are committing idolatry. We are taking a ceremony that was made to worship God and using it to make it about us, to worship us, to bring glory to us. That is never the intention of the ceremonies that we have. The ceremonies that we have of Christmas and of Easter are time to reflect on God. And people today, as as we close, I just want to implore you. I just want to beg you, focus on God. Let this time of Christmas be a time where your hope and your joy and your satisfaction is in knowing that you are a child of God and that God sent his one and only son to make that so, so that you could be adopted into his family. Let this time be a time for you to share that good news with the people around you, whether it's through giving the gift or whether it's through sharing the gospel. If there's anybody who is listening to this, this sermon today and, and you've, you've been hearing this word and you think, you know, that's, I've never heard it quite like that. Maybe this is the first time you have ever heard the gospel presented this way. I just want to encourage you right now where you're at to get on your knees before God and to pray and to ask him to forgive you of your sin of rebellion and adopt you into his family. God is faithful and just. He will forgive you of your sin and he will make you his child, but you must repent and follow him. And maybe there's some of you who heard this today, who you've heard the gospel, you've heard about Christmas your whole life. For a long time, you've been hearing sermons about Jesus and his birth, but maybe for the first time, you really grasped the gravity of what took place. I just want to encourage you to also get on your knees before God and ask for forgiveness and say, God, I'm sorry that I haven't been celebrating Christmas the way that I should be. I'm sorry that I haven't been celebrating the birth of your son for what it really means to my salvation. Because I, I tell you the truth, we will stand before God and we will give an account for what we have done with our time here on earth. And in this time, this season of remembrance for God and what he gave to us is important. Would you pray with me as we close? Heavenly Father, thank you for redeeming us from the devil and death by paying the ransom price of your son's blood. Thank you for predestining Jesus before the foundations of the earth so that we could know you, our great creator. Thank you for promising him that even from the beginning when we knew there was death and destruction, we knew there would be life. We knew there would be forgiveness. We knew there would be salvation. God, I pray that the Holy Spirit now would come upon all the people who heard this, that he would convict those who are unbelievers and that he would encourage those who are believers, that this word that has been preached today would not come back void, as your scripture says, but that it would do its work that you have in this generation and this time for the growth of your kingdom and the glory of your name. It's in your name, in the name of Jesus that we pray, amen.